evening. Uh, we just finished a series on identity and tonight's topic segues or connects really carefully with that message or that series on identity, but it is different. It is the topic of racism. But before we get there, I think it's interesting talking about the summer and looking at a virus that preoccupied all of our attention. It was interesting. It was not joyous. Um, what are the other words? It was humbling, um, all sorts of different things. It was public, Logan. Um, but anyway, every headline, every news outlet was fixed on this thing for the last two or three months. The world was locked down. Citizens um, were, were restrained by their governments in an effort to flatten the curve. Have you heard that phrase enough? That's what we're seeking to do. Schools closed, businesses shut down, churches converted to online meetings, our public life ground to a complete halt. It was projected that large gatherings would be on hold for most of the summer, and then we would come back little by little in stages, which to some degree has happened, right? You know you can go to the movie theater now? You can, yes, as of today. But there are no new movies out, so it's the stuff from like 1996. But anyway, you can go now uh, if you want to in our town. A little less than three weeks ago, the attention of our country shifted from what we thought would be in the, in the spotlight for the next six months, which was coronavirus. All of a sudden, um, the, our, the focus of our nation shifted to a particular street corner in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where a man named George Floyd was killed by police during his uh, arrest. An officer knelt on his neck for eight minutes, 46 seconds. This man was handcuffed face down on the asphalt, he pleaded repeatedly that, and said, I cannot breathe. You've seen the videos. It's horrific until he passed out roughly five minutes into the ordeal. When the officer finally stood up, Floyd was already dead and all attempts to revive him failed. If you've watched this, it is completely and totally unnerving as it shows a white police officer in complete dominance over a defenseless black man who is begging for his life. Wow. The cat's carrying this sleeping rabbit, that's great. All right, I'm gonna need some help from somebody to grab that and get it out of here. Ah. Should we put the kitty in the house? Yes? Yes, cat in the house if that's allowed. I know, right? That can all be edited out, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't touch it. Don't touch we can leave. I can wash my hands. What? Oh. Oh. It's fine. We'll let it rest in peace over there. That's okay. Oh. Yeah, the little one's better. Good, good call. Make sure it's dead, Sammy. Hit it over the head as hard as you can. 
Anybody want a new keychain? <laughs> it's not so lucky though, huh? I was preaching at a church down in, uh, uh, in San Diego a couple years ago, and I had just gotten, it was a heavy topic, and I had just gotten to a really heavy part, and a guy in the back stood up, spasmed, went into some kind of a seizure, and then went down. And that's the same thing, you're standing there like, what do you do? It happened in my house once. Right, you guys, some of you were there, remember that? Yes, I preached at FBC one week where um, I was in the middle preaching in a, in a really heavy part of the message on a Sunday morning, and all of a sudden it went, and we had to get up and leave, and we found out he's now in junior high, but one of the, I won't tell you who, but uh, there were two brothers who may or may not be twins, you can figure it out if you know them, and uh, one of them had pulled the fire alarm and they decided in the class, because he was like four or five years old, we're not gonna, we're not gonna tell anybody what happened. It just, like, we, we know the fire alarm got pulled, but we're not gonna put it on an individual. And as soon as people came into the classroom, the entire class turned and pointed at him and said, he did it! And he was jumping up and down. Anyway, so this is, new, this is not new for me. Um, may I come, come back? Are you all with me? Let's do this. Let me, let me pray one more time and we'll reset our hearts and then we'll dive in. Father, we are grateful to be outside uh, in your creation. And uh, we're so thankful for the breeze and the cool evening air, for the birds chirping. And Father, even for our very hearts that beat that are a sign of your mercy and grace in our lives. Thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword that divides and splits our hearts wide open in your presence. And so as we come to this most important and most difficult topic this evening, we ask that you would take your word and that you would expose our hearts to what you have said, draw us closer to you and help to correct some wrong thinking, help us to formulate our very thoughts on this topic. And we pray that you would be glorified and honored in our attitudes, actions, and words as we look at the topic of racism. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name, amen. Let me, let me end where I started or pick up where I left off. It's a better way of saying it. There, the video that you've seen shows a white police officer um, kneeling on top of and in complete dominance over a defenseless black man who is begging for his life. It, it has been like wildfire spreading across our country, has it not? Uh, that that uh, initial word was followed by protests by riots, by looting, the deployment of the National Guard, calls for reform, calls to bring down and defund the police, and so many more things. And there's a lot of raw emotion that is swirling in America right now. Well, just, just think about this, and maybe you've experienced some of these feelings. There is sadness, there is shock, there is horror, there's regret, confusion, frustration. Couple all of this with anger and bitterness and hatred and revenge. Like tearing the scab off of a wound, this is an open sore that has divided our country. 
Have you seen it? Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? What's interesting is that we, and I'm speaking about this group here tonight, we are very quick to distance ourselves from the tensions of racism, seeing it as something that is happening out there, far away from here. Each of us understands the issues. Each has discussed it with others. Some have posted about it extensively, maybe even taken steps in a social, uh, in a post or in a conversation with a friend. But by and large, here in this valley, we dismiss this as having little to do with our lives. And you think about it, you do a personal inventory, and this is how it goes. On the one hand, you say to yourself, that guy was a criminal. I'm talking about the officer who murdered George Floyd. A reprobate. That's horrible. And I would never do something like that. On the other side, you think to yourselves, doing the personal inventory. So you check the box, I'm okay, because I'm not a racist like him. Looking at the people that are out looting and rioting and causing all sorts of mayhem and saying, they are just opportunistic anarchists. And you check a box in your mind saying, at least I'm not like them. And we sit in our comfortable little seats here, feeling like this really doesn't affect me because I'm not a racist. And that's all happening way out there. Let me make a bold statement, lest you think that tonight's message is for somebody else. Everyone sitting here within the, the sound of my voice is a racist. Every single one of you, and myself included. Now, that's a strong statement. And I'm hoping that you're thinking to yourself, no, I'm not. What do you know about me? How dare you say that or any type of thing like that? But I believe that statement to be true. You may have no specific hatred of black people. You may have no specific hatred of white people or any people of other colors for that matter. But every person here tonight has racial issues lurking in their heart. All you have to do is think about your last trip to Walmart where you were in a, an amazing cross-section of humanity. Am I right? <laughs> Seeing all different types of people making all sorts of stereotypical judgments in your mind about those who are wandering around Walmart. Even better if you go after midnight. That place goes off after midnight. Have you been there? It's, it's, it's impressive. Or what about the last time you passed by a bad driver only to look over and feel justified when you found out their nationality was exactly what you thought. Maybe you've made jokes about Asians getting straight A's or how black people are better athletes or how Mexicans are lazy. Maybe you've laughed at racially charged jokes because you think they're funny. But the issue of racism isn't biological based on skin color. It's not socioeconomic based on income. It's not the cultural nuances that make us different. The issue is not out there. Look, listen and look up. The issue is in here. One Southern Baptist pastor rightly said it this way. Racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. You see, the problem of racism, that is valuing one person or group of people above another, 
stems from the inherent belief that we are superior to others around us. Thus, the root of racism is, it's pride. That's right. It stems from a lack of viewing self rightly and of viewing others according to their inherent worth. And this is typical. We judge and evaluate others by our own self-made criteria, appearance, intelligence, economic status, athletic or physical abilities, schooling, employment, etc. And we quickly assign value based on how that person ranks in our personal system of judgment. And it all happens at the speed of thought. That's why you make these determinations as you walked in the, in, into the backyard tonight. You made them when you got into Walmart. It happens just that quickly. But my friends, God hates racism. Racism belittles your fellow man. It mocks the creator and it undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my goal tonight is very simple. I'm not gonna address every topic that's been rolling around the news for the last three weeks. I'm not gonna get into Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, what you post as a black square on Instagram, um, what it means to be woke, any of these different things, I'm not going there, okay? But what I wanna do for you is to help um, establish and build a biblical framework so that you can navigate these issues that are at hand. Um, and I wanna give you a foundation that will help for, to set the process in your mind of how you should behave, how you should think, and how you should speak. I don't think I'm gonna answer every question tonight and I certainly will create more questions in your mind. I hope so. But I wanna show you that if you claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, then racism is in, incompatible with your relationship with God and your relationship with your fellow man. And my hope is that I will um, leave you informed and ready to confront the issues in your own heart and ready for you to take actions in your own life. Okay, simple outline tonight. Um, each of our four points begins with this phrase, you will struggle with racism if. You will struggle with racism if, okay? And these are four basic reasons why we struggle with racism. And when put all together, it will establish a biblical framework that will show you why racism is wrong, okay? Number one, you will struggle with racism if you ignore our common origin. If you ignore our common, our common origin. In order to get into this point, allow me to take a step back in time to tell you about the history and development of racism in our modern world. It's a little scientific, bear with me. You're all in college. This will feel just like a class that you haven't gone to in three months. But the classification of races has gone through many iterations. In the past, the common worldview was based on scripture and most early anthropologists believed that man should be classified into three races, one for each of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that's right. Genesis 10 details their genealogies. This is known as monogenesis, that all the peoples of the world, regardless of race, spring from a common origin. But with the advent of naturalism and the theory of revolution or evolution, Revolution's coming later. The theory of evolution, many theories began to emerge and so did biological racism. You got that? Biological racism came out of the theory of natural, naturalism and evolution. No longer was man different based solely on culture or language, but now he was different biologically. 
because evolution teaches that a man is the most advanced and developed species on earth and he is therefore superior to all other animals and listen to this, all inferior races that also exist on earth. It was argued that the Caucasian was the original racial form and all other types were aberrations from this. For example, here are the tests that they ran. Noticing that a man with white skin will grow progressively darker in a tropical climate, go out in the sun in the summer, you're gonna get a tan. But going back inside, that man or woman would, would uh, recover the original normal body color in a more temperate zone. One scientist suggests an experiment by which a number of native Africans will be transported from their homeland in Denmark, or their homeland in Africa to Denmark and will be kept there under isolation and being observed. The test was to show how long it would take for such people to turn white, blonde, and blue-eyed. That is back to their more, quote, normal form. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. In an effort to further classify race, scientists used all sorts of tests to figure out these differences. Size of the skull, length of the forearm, shape of the ear, even different variations of lice taken from different people in different parts of the world. Their conclusion to most all of these efforts, which were obviously conducted by white men, favored the white race as superior. But trying to split race into such subgroups has proven to be a fool's errand. In a book called The Forging of Races, written by Colin Kidd, it says this, listen, this is good, quote, race exists as a property of our minds, not of their bodies. It is a bogus scientific category rather than a fact of nature and belongs not so much to the realm of objective biology as to the quite distinct realm of human sub subjectivity." End quote. What's the point? You ready? Tune back in. Here's the point. There is no biological distinctive that separates us from one another. Let me say it one different way again. The human genome is almost identical across our entire species. It is therefore absurd to think that one is superior or inferior based on biology alone. That's what the study of genetics has taught us. And it took all the way until the mapping of the, the human genome, which happened early in the 2000s, before the world came to this conclusion. That's science speaking, and it says that all human beings are alike. The Bible has been saying this for thousands of years. Let me show you. I just want to give you three subpoints so that you can understand our common origin and why this debunks racism. This is biblical. The first is this. We are all made from the same stuff. Dirt. That's it. We're all made from the same stuff. Dirt. If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and look at the creation account, you find that God is speaking the universe into existence. Let there be Light, ex nihilo, he speaks, it happens. Let there be dry land, let there be plants. But he gets to man and in Genesis 2, 7, it says the, the Lord formed man of dust from the ground. That's dirt. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Let me say this again, man is made from dirt. Not a precious metal, not from sugar and spice and everything nice, not even from more your farm-raised, gluten-free, organic materials just from dirt. Not from 
stardust just from dirt. Genesis 3.19, after cursing the earth, God says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to it you shall return. In Job 33.5, Elihu said, I too have been formed out of the clay. The psalmist in 103.14 says that God himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Here's the bottom line. There is nothing special about any of us. There is no reason for one to boast over another. We all have a common origin and it's dirt. We all have a common destination and it's dirt. And if you forget this, you'll struggle with racism. Secondly, it's not only that we are made from the same stuff dirt, we are all made in the image, in the same image, God's image. And we've spent eight weeks looking at our identity in Christ and the fact that we've all been made in the image of God. But understand this, this shell that you have that you live in is just a repository. It's a vessel, a physical vessel that holds something that's far more valuable. There is something special about how God made us and it's different from the rest of creation. In Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So no matter what skin color or other physical characteristics a person possesses, every human being in every ethnic group of every age, every gender, every social class has an immortal soul that has been imprinted by the image of God. Man can reason. He has the ability to make moral judgments. He experiences spiritual affections. He has the capacity to have a relationship with his creator. Mark Twain said it this way, the two most important days in your life are the day of your birth or the day you're born and the day you find out why. And the day you find out why is the day you come to know that you are the creation of an infinite God who made you in his image to have a relationship with him. And so when we look down on others from a position of racial superiority, we're casting aside the dignity of man, which belongs to each individual person based on the worth given to that man or that woman by their creator. So not only are we from the same stuffed dirt, not only are we made in the same image, gods, but we are all descended from the same ancestor, Adam. This goes back to the term monogenesis, that man came from the same origin. In Genesis 3.20, it says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Adam and Eve are not figurative or symbolic people. Um, they are real, literal people. They are our first parents. In the New Testament, Acts 17.26 says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having it determined their appointed times, the boundaries of their habitation. We came from one person. You have one common origin. Adam and Eve are the ones, our original parents. And we've all inherited Adam's sin nature and we all share in Adam's curse. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, that's us, because all sinned. Descendants of Adam as the sense of Adam, we have sin in our very nature, which is why Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Daniel 5.27 says it this way, You have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. That is what the scripture teaches us, that it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Every one of us 
is under the, the, the judgment of God. The color of your skin, where you are even economically, where you live on this planet will not help you or hurt you in the day of judgment. We all are under the same condemnation. Some of you may have heard me tell this story before, but when I was like 14 or 15, um, well, when I was a kid, I used to spend my summers in Long Island, which is in New York. There's a beautiful beach called Long Beach, had a boardwalk, beautiful white sand. Beaches in New York there are better than the beaches here, believe it or not, which sounds crazy, right? We're in California, but I'm telling you, those beaches are unreal. It's just pristine white, soft sand that goes on for miles, um, and this, this wooden boardwalk behind it, really cool. And I grew up living with, I mean, you could just hear the water breaking from my grandma's house there. And uh, because Long Island, for those of you who are geographically challenged, juts out from the east coast of the United States going this way to the east, we were on the south shore of that. And so hurricanes that come up off of the coast of Florida and down the, in the Caribbean, which one is it, Caribbean or Caribbean? Caribbean. In the Caribbean, you said both. Okay, <laughs> so those hurricanes that are down there would come up and the waves that would hit the south coast of Long Island were unbelievable. So one day I decided to go out body surfing. This is different from some of you who think this is the story about me body surfing in Santa Monica when a hurricane was off the coast of Mexico and I almost died. This is a second story, very similar. But the waves were breaking way outside where the surfers were and I decided to go on the inside where the inside set was breaking and go out. They were huge churning waves and as soon as I got out there, I realized it was a mistake. And so the lifeguards are whistling me in because they realize I'm in trouble. And so I start paddling in with all of my strength and energy to get back. And I'm head down digging and the waves are breaking over me and I'm churning. I'm, I'm realizing I'm in, I'm in trouble. And I am spent. I've got very little energy left. And I'm thinking this is not going to end well. And then the lifeguard got to me. And he grabbed me and I was still head down going and he grabbed me by the chest in the back and he went like this and stood me up and I was in about this much water. It was, it was really embarrassing. And then I walked out, cause you know when the, when the lifeguard goes into rescue, everybody gathers around to walk, to watch. So as I walked out of the water, as a group like this all looking at me like, what is wrong with this idiot? Anyway, comparison, let me draw the comparison. I was held in the power of that current with very little chance of saving myself. In fact, no chance of saving myself. I was headed for a really negative ending until that lifeguard came and saved me. So each son and daughter of Adam is under the judgment of God. And apart from Christ, that saving lifeguard, we are helpless, hopeless, and with no chance of saving ourselves. Unlike my situation, however, there is no escape because the judgment of God comes to every person from every nationality, from every point on the globe, regardless of color or race or ethnicity. God is no respecter of persons. He is an impartial judge and every man and woman stands equally guilty in his presence. Psalm 98 says he is coming to judge the earth. James 5 says that the judge right now is standing at the door. 1 Peter 4 says that he will judge the living and the dead. Isaiah 66 says that he will execute judgment by fire with a sword. He judged Lucifer, casting him from heaven. He judged Adam, casting him from the garden. He judged Cain after he killed his brother, sending him into the wilderness. In Noah's day, he judged the world with water. In Abraham's day, he judged Sodom with fire. In Moses' day, he judged Egypt with plagues. He is a righteous judge and Ecclesiastes 12 says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
This is the fate of all men and all women, regardless of race. So, the next time you're tempted to look down on another because of the color of their skin or their choppy English or their mixed ethnicity, reflect on the fact that we are all sons and daughters of Adam under the same condemnation for sin. We're all made in the image of God and we're all made from the same stuff, dirt. And here's the summary statement. When you forget our common origin, you will struggle with racism. Okay? Number two, moving on. That's the longest point. These will go a little faster. You will struggle with racism if you think little of the cross. You will struggle with racism if you think little of the cross. I will never forget the day that one of my wife Tracy's cousins got engaged and a family member asked two questions. Number one, is he a Christian? The answer was yes. We all went, awesome, that's great. Number two, is he white? And it's a shameful thing even to admit and to own. This should not be so in the life of a believer. How can you love Christ and not love your brother? But this has been a problem for God's people since the beginning. You think about the Israelites, instead of fulfilling their role as a light to the dark and unbelieving nations around them, the Jews instead became segregated. They discriminated. They even racially profiled the surrounding nations. Such a strong hatred for others developed that even Jonah the prophet, when God called him to go to Nineveh, said, I'd rather see them burn than you, you act in mercy toward them. He, flew, he fled to the outermost reaches of the earth so that God wouldn't save this people because he racially hated them that much. So extreme was this racism by the time of Jesus that he gave instruction and he couldn't just stop with saying, love one another. He had to also say, love your neighbor. He had to go beyond that to say, love your enemies. According to James 2.10, the sin of partiality is enough to condemn someone to hell. And John said in 1 John 4, that if you hate your brother, then you cannot love God. Okay, so what's the end of all of this? The answer to racism, where does racism meet its end? Because we recognize there's issues. The answer I already told you, I'll say it again, is at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the only power in the universe strong enough to break the oppressive bonds of the slavery of sin and set us free to truly love one another. You can educate the young, you can legislate equality, you can picket and demand reforms, you can promote diversity from every media outlet on the planet, but none of these things can change the human heart. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can affect true and lasting change. That's why Romans 1.16 calls the gospel the power of God for salvation. What I'm saying is not a new philosophy. This is not a new methodology. This is not a political persuasion. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ in which our old, unbelieving, unforgiving, hateful self is buried, is dead, and a new, humble, believing, loving self is created by the power of the Holy Spirit in the image of Jesus Christ, one that has the capacity to love and to forgive and to be at peace with others. In Ephesians 2.13, speaking specifically of hatred and separation between Jews and Gentiles, 
The apostle says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. I love that. There is no superiority or inferiority at the cross. There is no pride at the cross. The ground is level at Calvary. Red and yellow, black and white, there is no distinction. But those unwilling to let go of bitterness or anger or hatred or any type of racial tension trample underfoot the blood of Christ. When we reject others, whether white or black, others for whom Christ shed his blood, we are directly opposed to the heart of God. He is the friend of sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, who was equal with God, chose to submit himself to the Father's will, putting aside his own comforts, his position, his own rights, and gave himself for his enemies, demonstrating the amazing power of his love. It's, a, it's incredible what he did. You cannot hold on to racism with one hand. Your bias is your prejudice and hold on to the cross with the other. It does not work. And the only power strong enough to reconcile or to overcome racial strife and bring about reconciliation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was an amazing testimony of this in 2015 in Charleston, South Carolina. Some of you might not remember this because you're young, but the last big racial, well, there's been a couple since, but this was a massive racial incident that tore our country apart. Um, it was like June 21st, I think, 2015, right in there. A 21-year-old white man named Dylan Roof entered a historic black church in South Carolina one evening. He took out a 45 caliber handgun and said, I'm here to kill black people. He then gunned down nine people in cold blood, reloading five times before he finally left the church. His victims who had gathered to worship ranged from a 26-year-old young man to an 87-year-old grandmother, his grandmother. Just before leaving the church, he asked an elderly, just before Roof left the church after his killing spree, he asked an elderly lady if she had been shot. She said, no, and he replied, good, I'm not gonna kill you. I'm going to spare you so you can tell them what happened. After a brief hunt, Roof was arrested. 48 hours later, five of the nine victims' families came forth together and spoke directly to Dylan Roof while he was being held behind bars. Speaking of her son, one mother said, quote, we welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts. I will never be the same, but may God have mercy on your soul, end quote. Speaking of her mother, one woman said, you took something very precious from me, but I forgive you. It hurts me. You hurt a lot of people, but may God forgive you. Another said, we would like to take this opportunity to call you to repent and to confess. Give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so he can change your ways. National tension on that day was not far from what it was right now. But these people showcasing a changed heart and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ offered forgiveness. And in one fell swoop, it was like 
a, a, a pin in a balloon, all the racial tension went out of America. The hostility ended and just fizzled out. Because those who have been forgiven by God are forgiven, are able to forgive others. I think the verse that Daniel read earlier was amazing. Right? Put aside all malice and slander and envy, hypocrisy and slander, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, my brothers, be imitators of God and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for you. It's an amazing, Ephesians 4 30 and beyond, it's an amazing passage. This is the power of the cross. Yes, like I said, you can legislate. Yes, you can protest. Things need to change. But ultimately, the change happens in individual lives as you come in contact with the God of the universe and he takes the black sin-stained heart and he removes it and he gives you a new heart that beats, that has his love there, that can actively forgive others. This is the true power in this world. Now, you will be a racist if you forget the power of the cross. You will be a racist if you forget our common origin. And number three, you will know and you will struggle with racism if you don't value church unity. You don't value church unity. Now the church is a group of sinners who have been brought together under the cross to put Jesus Christ on display to a watching world. If the gospel in your life as an individual changes your heart, the church is a group of people gathered together with changed hearts that are an outpost left here that God is saying, if you want to understand how to change, look at that place right there. Look at those people because they're different, because Jesus is in them. It's the singular, singular location in which a lost and dying world that's filled with strife, bitterness, hatred, and anger, anger can see peace and harmony, love and forgiveness. Now, the church has not always done a good job of this. In fact, uh, some would say that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. But nonetheless, the true gospel lived out in the lives of genuine Christians will be a testimony to the watching world. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, some of you memorized this as part of the grafted viral challenge. It says that even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. What's the point? In the church, all of us have been made one in Christ. And it's manifest most clearly when God's people, redeemed sinners, gather together to corporately worship like we've done tonight, to love each other, to be a part of one body. And the world sees Christ. The world sees different colors, different ethnicities, different shapes, different sizes, different ages, different genders, all together under one roof partaking in one baptism, singing one song, eating one holy food, bound together as brothers and sisters by the blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.28 says it this way, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is who we are in Christ. And if we avoid certain people, or we don't reach out to certain people because they are different, then something is wrong. Let me illustrate. You walk in on a Friday night to this 
to Daniel's glorious backyard. And there's only two chairs open of where you can sit. You don't know the, any of the people sitting next to those two open seats, wherever they are. But what you notice is that sitting around the one seat are people who are ethnically like you. And sitting next to the other seat are people who are ethnically not like you. And at the speed of thought, you make your decision. Where do you sit? Most of us gravitate toward the people who are like us. We associate those who are like us with comfort, safety, ease, and a greater personal benefit to us. Do you agree? Just watch your hearts going forward and you'll see it. You'll see it in the store. You'll see it in the restaurant. You'll see it at church. It exists in our hearts and it lays dormant. By the way, I think the issue of racism is, is a lot like, um, I was talking to, to TJ today. It's, I think it was Josh Petrus in one of our Instagram lives said that it's like a beaker where a lot of the sediment has kind of gone to the bottom of the, of the glass and the water in there looks very clear. But an incident like this one happens and it's like the whole thing gets shaken up and all this stuff that was lying dormant comes back up in your heart. And that's what's really going on. This, this is that type of question. Where do you sit? The, to, to go to that seat, which is most comfortable around those people that are most comfortable, comfortable is not how the body of Christ is designed to work. Philippians 2 reminds us that we're not here just looking out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. The church is supposed to be a place that showcases the multifaceted grace of God to those who enter. And we, as God's people, redeemed by the blood of Christ under the cross, should make regular efforts to get out of our comfort zone, to know new people, different people, etc. Yes? I'll let you think about that one. But because we're running out of time, let me go to number four. You will struggle with racism if you aren't excited about heaven. You will struggle with racism if you aren't excited about heaven. I haven't, I've not had you open your Bibles yet, so open to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. And in heaven, we see the consummation of the redemptive plan of God. Jesus sent every Christian out into the world to make disciples, Matthew 28, in the Great Commission. And when we arrive in heaven, we will see the final collective group of those whom he has saved. So we say it this way. If here, it's the church gathered together to show off Christ. Heaven is the place where all believers are gathered to show off Christ and to worship him and what he's doing. So look at Revelation 7, 9. The writer says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne. Wait, let me go back to that. There was a great multitude. That's a lot of people. Uncountable. That's how many people are there. From every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Can I just say, there will be no racists in heaven. Just those who've been bought by the blood of Christ. If you think 
that in heaven, everything will be written in English in the ESV and that that will be the most popular demographic, you're wrong. Heaven is a gathering of all of God's people from all ages, in all languages, lifting their collective voice to worship and come under the anthem of Jesus Christ. Think of the glory he will receive when he brings people together from every part of the globe, from every age, speaking every language, and every people group are united together to worship. Look at verse 10. They cry out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb, amen. There will be nothing but adoration and worship and the glory of God because only he could take something so diverse, so separate, so opposite and bring it together for his glory and for his namesake. Verse 11, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. This is the end to which we all go for those who are in Christ and it is awesome. We will worship together hand in hand with one voice, free of sin, free of separation, magnifying the only one who is worthy. And you will struggle with racism if you forget this is where we're all going. This is the great purpose for which God called us is to bring us together to worship him. So, you will struggle with racism if you forget our common origin, that we're all from dirt, that we're all made in the image of God, that we all have the same curse and sin from Adam, our father. You'll struggle with racism if you think little of the cross. You'll struggle with racism if you don't value church unity. And you'll struggle with racism if you aren't excited about heaven. Now, I don't have really a ton of time, but I got just a couple thoughts to leave you with from an application standpoint, general principles. The first is this, as you work through this in your own heart and life, can I encourage you to listen to the right voices? Listen to the right voices, what does that mean? Uh, the media is not the place to get your information, okay? The media is the place to understand what's happening in current world events. You see the events unfold, they report to you, that's their job. To formulate your worldview, your philosophy, um, your, um, your, your, your general framework of thinking, listen carefully, go to your Bibles, okay? Go to the solid rock of God and, and let your actions in your life be built on that foundation. 2 Timothy 3.16, you'll recognize the verse, but watch this. All scriptures inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Watch this. So that the man of God may be adequate, here it is, equipped for every good work. You wanna know how to respond? You're struggling with what do I say? When do I say it? What should I post? What should I not post? Go to your Bibles. It will make you adequate. It will equip you for every good work. The Bible has everything you need. Go to the news to find out what's going on. Go to your Bibles to figure out how to interpret that and how you should respond. Okay, secondly, secondly, I wanna say it this way, go build relationships. Go build relationships. What does that mean? 
In this context, I want to say that I really appreciated a conversation that I had with Brendan the other night after Radix. I, I, I said, Brendan, how should we respond? And he, he, I mean, it was like he had prepared his whole life for the statement. It was fantastic. He said the following three things. I can't say it any better, so I'm just going to repeat what he told me. Sean, go, sh go love others. Like what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast, does not brag, etc., etc., etc. Endures all things, hopes all things, believes all things. Love never fails. You know the passage I'm talking about? There's like 13 or 14 characteristics of love. Go love people that way. He said, secondly, don't keep talking. Ask questions and then listen to people. Bear their burdens. Find out where they're struggling and listen to them. And he said, thirdly, point people to Christ. I think that's so good. It's so simple. And I don't know, maybe you've been afraid to talk to people about this for fear that you're gonna make something worse or offend somebody. Just ask the question, how are you doing? How can I love you? How can I bear your burdens? And then listen to them. Good? Number three, for everybody, black, white, wherever ethnicity you are, repent of racism, prejudice, bitterness, and hatred. It's amazing to me that as a Christian, you can have the spirit of God in you who produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And at the same time, you can at times give yourself over to hatred and even bigotry and racism. They don't work together, right? The Christian loves, forgives, and seeks like Christ to unify others. So if you find and search your heart before the Lord, just repent of those things and ask God to change you, fill you with the Spirit, and demonstrate those fruit of the Spirit. Reach out to people who are different from you. Tonight's a great night to start. Maybe by the fire when we have our milk and cookies. You know what's funny is my girls tell me all the time, I walk into the refrigerator, I grab a cup, and then I, well, I grab a cup, then I walk to the refrigerator, I put milk in there and they yell it from across the room, milk drinker! Because for some reason, they get offended when I drink all the milk. Anyway, two more points and I'm done. Meditate on the cross. Meditate on the cross. It's a great place to start. The soul crushing truth of the work of Christ will keep us humble and make us kind towards others. So good. Lastly, this is for Michaela. Become a missionary. Go to that place where Christ has not been named, where they don't speak the same language and go tell the world about Jesus Christ. You wanna bring racism down? Go and tell the world that Jesus is king and that he has offered salvation to all who would come to him in faith, turn from their sin, and he's uniting a people under his banner to worship and praise him forever. It's a good word. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that in Christ, those who are far off have been brought near.